You are listening to Payers, Providers, and Patients Oh My. I'm Joe Records. And I'm Pyle Nanavetti. On today's episode of the podcast, we'll discuss our expectations for transactions in the healthcare industry in 2022. We're joined today by our colleagues who sit not only in Kroll's healthcare practice, but also in Kroll's corporate or antitrust practices. We're talking to Katie Raffensperger, Todd Rosenberg, and Alexis Gilman. Thank you all for joining us today. Todd, let, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about what some of the headline level uh, issues and things like performance of the stock market, what impact those types of things could have on, on healthcare transactions uh, in 2022? Thanks, Joe. And that's a great place to start because I think it's really one of the big unknown questions out there. Uh, we have in the recent years, of course, seen bull markets and great growth in the stock markets year over year. Uh, right now, there are some forces that suggest that we may not have quite as robust of a upturn in the market in 2022. Hopefully, we'll still see the market perform well, but there are definitely headwinds. Uh, inflation is certainly one, uh, and that's going to lead to rate hikes by the Fed. They've already started that. We'll need to see exactly how aggressive they are with those, uh, given other forces in the economy including the supply chain pressures, the great resignation, and also all of the uncertainty resulting from the war in Ukraine. So there are a lot of forces on the market right now that may slow the trend of equity growth that we have seen in recent years that may have an impact of tamping down deal volumes because people may be less likely to invest at a time of uncertainty or less likely to sell if equity values may not be as high. But it also could bring more players into the market who would maybe be able to you know, afford the sticker price that they might not have been able to afford before. So uh, I think you know, despite what happens or what may happen in public equity markets, we're likely to see uh, continued uh, busy activity in healthcare transactions in 2022. One thing we might want to focus on or think about is what's going to happen in the SPAC market. Uh, in 2021, the healthcare industry saw the second highest devalue in DSPACs, which is really when a, a SPAC, which is a special purpose acquisition company, acquires a target. And uh, after technology, healthcare was the most robust area. For SPACs, 47 deals were completed with a total deal value of $55 billion. And so as the market goes, SPACs may go as well. So it'll be interesting to see uh, exactly whether we see that same level of activity or a reduced level of activity in 2022. Next, I want to turn into Alexis for an antitrust question. Could you describe for our listeners the typical level of scrutiny that healthcare transactions receive by the antitrust agencies? And do we expect that level of scrutiny to continue to be the case under the Biden administration? Sure. Um, so the FTC and the DOJ have focused on healthcare transactions for, for decades. The FTC has been really active in bringing cases and requiring divestitures and mergers involving healthcare providers, medical device manufacturers and pharmaceutical companies, among others, while the DOJ is blocked or acquired divestitures in several health insurer mergers. Actually, in fact, for about half of the FTC's enforcement actions in any given year, about half of them are in the healthcare industry. So that close scrutiny 
has already started to increase and will continue to increase under the new Biden appointment leadership at the FTC and the DOJ. For example, um, last July, the White House issued an executive order on promoting competition in the American economy, and that called for increased scrutiny of healthcare consolidation. And then in September, the FTC repealed vertical merger guidelines that were issued just a year before under the prior administration, saying that those guidelines were flawed and not tough enough on vertical mergers. While DOJ didn't officially repeal those guidelines, it has said that those vertical merger guidelines uh, were flawed. So since then, and both agencies have started a process to revamp their horizontal and their vertical merger guidelines. And the request for information that they issued is framed in a way that really suggests that any new guidelines are significantly going to tighten the merger review standards in terms of how the agencies review mergers. So in addition to all the rhetoric and those policy statements, um, the agencies have br- been bringing horizontal merger challenges. And both the FTC and the DOJ have brought suits to unwind or to block vertical mergers in the healthcare space, a more aggressive approach than we've seen in the past with respect to vertical integration. So I'd say the upshot of all this is that the healthcare industry should expect that the agency's merger review process is going to be more expansive in terms of the depth and breadth of issues that they investigate. It's going to involve new or even novel theories of potential harm. It's going to involve uh, more investigations under the extended timeline of the second request process. Uh, the agencies are going to undertake more rigorous scrutiny of potential remedies that the merging parties offer to resolve any concerns. And overall, uh, unfortunately, I, I think it's safe to say that we're going to see merger review involve more time, more cost, and uncertainty for, for healthcare consolidation. Katie, turning to you, I know in the past number of years, we've seen a lot of private equity investment in in different areas in the healthcare industry. What do we expect to see going forward with respect to private equity investment in healthcare? Sure. Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think, you know, to your point, we've seen private equity investment kind of explode across industries in recent years with with really an unprecedented amount of dry powder um, across private equity firms. And I think we've seen that particularly in the healthcare industry, which over even just the last 10 years has grown at really an astonishing rate. And I think in particular, healthcare has been growing because private equity firms view it as a relatively stable long-term play, in part attributable to the fact that uh, demand for services increases as the population ages. And so, you know, there will really always be a need for healthcare services. And I think that's really appealing to the private equity model. I think that we'll continue to see growth in that area. And I think some particular areas of interest that historically we've seen, and I think we'll continue to see are in the areas of things like ambulatory care, long-term care, um, behavioral health, managed care. I think also in the areas of of healthcare technology platforms and other kind of uh, digital services as we've seen the impact of of COVID push folks to seeking more remote care. So things like the doctor on demand type services or or other platforms like that. And I think we will also continue to see at least for the near term continuing interest in doctor practice acquisitions, which we've seen a significant uh, amount of in, in recent years. I think looking to the future, maybe a little bit more long-term, I see kind of two perhaps divergent or parallel paths for where private equity might go. I think if we're thinking about things from the doctor practice acquisition standpoint, we've started to see some increased uh, concerns and scrutiny from regulators about the impacts of private equity involvement on quality of care and, and how that affects patients. 
And I think so on that side of things, we might see a bit of a dampening effect and perhaps less acquisitions in that area as, as private equity firms don't historically have a robust internal compliance function. Regulators might start to come down a, a little more strongly on them. And so perhaps we start to see more X in that area, which in turn, I think, you know, there's great potential there then for strategic players to come in and kind of gobble those up. On the other side of things, though, I think kind of regardless of, of the regulatory scrutiny piece, we'll continue to see a place for private equity in the healthcare technology sector. And I think, you know, that that's a great play for private equity platforms with the sort of just real potential for value increase and less concern with having internal compliance function. I think if, if private equity firms partner with the right outside counselors and get the compliance guidance that they need, I think the, the technology space is, is a real opportunity for the long-term play there. Todd, I want to turn it back to you and ask whether we expect the COVID-19 pandemic to have an impact on mergers and acquisitions in the healthcare industry in 2022. Thanks, Pat. I think we definitely will see an impact in 2022 and beyond thanks to COVID. COVID obviously had a lot of impact on the healthcare field. The healthcare field really responded, in fact, quite well and nimbly to COVID, and as did you know their customers, uh, you, me, and everyone else as a, as a patient. We had to make a lot of adjustments to receive healthcare and continue to manage our health during a very different time for all of us. And you know, we may be coming out of it a bit, hopefully, but I think we're still going to see a lot of impacts on the healthcare industry and healthcare deals as a result. One thing that we are definitely seeing clients grapple with right now are labor shortages. Uh, and you know, through the great resignation, which we've touched on earlier, there may well be a solution in looking at M&A to solve some of those woes if there are companies out there who still may have excess workforce capacity or complementary workforce capacity, then acquisitions may be a desirable way for the acquirers to solve some workforce shortages that they're dealing with. We've also seen a lot of change in how healthcare is delivered as a result of the pandemic. Katie definitely touched on this earlier with her references to some of the areas where private equity has been focusing, but the shift towards telemedicine and digital health and more remote forms of healthcare has been a trend and is increasing the value of the companies that are out in front and leading those efforts. And so we will very likely see continued interest and demand for those companies that will drive deal volume in that space. And then, you know, in a sense, it remains to be seen what happens with respect to long-term care. Obviously, one of the areas uh, of the healthcare industry that struggled the most in dealing with COVID were long-term care facilities and senior living facilities, and uh, there may be, to some extent, dampening of consumer appetite for those facilities. But at the same time, we do have an aging population, and they have needs, and those needs can't always be met in the home. Though I will say that home health care is definitely a, a growing area where we're seeing more and more acquisition activities. So I think we'll see the impacts of the long-term care response to COVID, both boosting in-home health care and acquisitions in that space, 
as well as potentially some realignment of the long-term care industry to deal with the headwinds that they faced during COVID and coming out of COVID with some players having been weakened and potentially other players having managed the storm better. And then there are other sectors that have been heavily impacted by COVID, such as hospital systems, where I think there will be an increase in, you know, continued increase in strategic partnerships uh, in an effort to overcome some of the financial impacts that have uh, hit them thanks to COVID and costs of care due to COVID. So it's going to be uh, yeah, an ongoing picture to see what the lasting impacts of COVID will be on healthcare transactional activity. I think we also just need to see to some extent how the regulators respond as we get back to a more normal post-COVID or dealing with COVID environment where you know, there was a lot of tolerance towards things like telemedicine during the pandemic out of necessity, and hopefully those things will remain in effect even if the exigency of the circumstances is reduced by things getting back to normal. Uh, but assuming they will, I think we'll continue to see the uh, uptake in activity that we've seen in those areas. Thanks, Todd. And, and sticking with you for a moment here um, and getting maybe a little bit more granular, you started to touch on a couple of uh, sub-industries within the healthcare industry. So with, within the broad umbrella of healthcare, are there sub-industries that we think are going to be sort of focal points of likely transaction activity and investment uh, within healthcare? Definitely our focus on a number of areas. Behavioral health is one to watch. There's a lot of uh, regulatory activity going on in the behavioral health space, and that's going to drive greater focus on it by payers, by providers, changes in how uh, behavioral health services are delivered. And so I think that is one area where we are definitely looking for a lot more activity and a lot of kind of a dynamic area of the healthcare industry. And with the dynamic activity, I think comes different types of combinations of businesses, joint ventures, mergers and acquisitions. Technology continues, of course, to develop a pace. And you know, I don't think skip much of a beat due to COVID. So I think health tech and things that are supporting either health plans or providers in delivering services more efficiently to uh, to patients or members of health plans are going to be continuing areas of focus. As we've talked about before, services that help deliver healthcare at a distance, telehealth, digital pharmacies, and the like are also hot areas. And then also, yeah, there's just going to be a lot of where are we now reassessments of uh, whether healthcare companies are better served to be you know, on their own or in their current status or better served combining with other either you know players in the same space or players in different spaces uh, in new innovative partnerships to grow. And you know, we touched on one area, but I think we'll definitely see a lot of this in the hospital system area. For our last question, I want to ask kind of a catch-all. So other than what we've talked about so far, what are some other trends or issues in, the, in healthcare transactions that our listeners should know about? Sure, happy to address that. So I think from my perspective, I see kind of two general areas where we see trends in deal making generally uh, that I think will have particular nuance or impact on uh, healthcare transactions specifically. Uh, so the first of those areas is ESG or environmental, social, and governance considerations. 
Um, to this point, I think we've seen ESG considerations uh, playing a part uh, mostly in the securities space and, and public disclosure for publicly traded companies, which have been focusing on disclosure around envi environmental matters um, and, so, and to a somewhat lesser extent social and governance matters as well. Um, but I think as the focus continues to be on these types of considerations and there's sort of an ever-widening view of what ESG encompasses, um, that we will eventually see those considerations um, broaden to also pick up health equity concerns. I think the impact that we could see there as a result of that is a greater focus on the healthcare industry and what kinds of things it's doing to address health equity, which I believe will play a larger role in um, strategic partnerships and sort of creative approaches to lack of health equity or how we're approaching patient outcomes. Um, Todd mentioned earlier that COVID will have an impact, uh, continue to have an impact on hospital systems entering into partnerships to address financial losses. I think ESG will be a further driver of those types of partnerships where different players in the healthcare industry are looking for kind of new and creative ways to address health equity concerns, social and governance concerns, other concerns that will be, I think, brought into to a more stark focus with this continued um, focus on, on ESG. The other area where I think we'll continue to see sort of interesting trends in the healthcare transactions space is with respect to rep and warranty insurance. Revenue and warranty insurance has become, in recent years, increasingly popular for all kinds of M&A deals. But I think we've seen, at least until recently, a lag when it comes to healthcare transactions, mostly as a result of uh, underwriters and, and insurers being, I think, a little wary of underwriting healthcare deals because they don't want to assume risk for violations of health regulatory laws. Sometimes compliance with health regulatory laws is a bit harder to diligence and so harder for insurers to get comfortable with. So I think we've seen a little bit of lag in the rep and warranty insurance market as it applies to healthcare deals. But I think as the pace of deals just generally is, is accelerating and the pace of deals is accelerating in healthcare transactions, there's been increased demand for a rep and warranty insurance product to apply in, in healthcare transactions as well. And I think there's a couple of factors that have come into play recently that have sort of spurred uh, the willingness of insurers to look at health uh, care deals as, as an area that they're willing to cover. One one is one we've addressed already, and that's the involvement of private equity firms where uh, rep and warranty insurance is frequently uh, requested or required in order for a deal to move forward. I think there's also an improved ability on the part of the insurers to do health regulatory diligence as they see a greater volume of deals. I think they've gotten more comfortable with how due diligence from health regulatory perspective works and the firms that are, are capable of doing diligence uh, to the point where, where the insurers are able to get comfortable. And then kind of similarly to, to how private equity views healthcare, uh, I think insurers are now starting to see that the healthcare industry is in fact relatively stable. So I think the confluence of those factors has really helped folks to get more comfortable with underwriting deals in, in the healthcare space, as opposed to historically where there was maybe one or two insurers that were willing and able to underwrite a healthcare deal. Now there's at least seven to nine or so that are, are willing and able to do it and some really reputable names. So we've seen a lot more willingness to, to be involved in those deals. 
I think the one factor that we'll need to keep an eye on, which comes into play, especially at the end of a year when many, many folks are pushing to get deals done, and so there's a huge increase in the demand for rep and warranty insurance, be the premium that, that's required. At the end of the year, the premium, especially we saw this in, in the fourth quarter of 2021, premiums skyrocketed because of the volume of deals and the demand. And I think this was particularly true for the healthcare industry, again, owing to those sort of historical factors of weariness and reticence of, of healthcare deals. Since the end of the fourth quarter, I think we've seen premiums come down a little bit, but I think the premiums will still stay a little bit in the higher range for healthcare transactions, probably somewhere in the range of 4 to 6% um, of coverage limits. But I think kind of regardless of that, we will still see um, an increasing opportunity for rep and warranty insurance to be a real factor in deals and to be part of those transactions. Thank you all so much for sharing your insights with us today. Uh, we look forward to seeing what happens in this space in 2022. Payers, Providers, and Patients Oh My is a podcast brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash healthcare podcast. Mm-hmm.